Good morning, Sound Life Church, and hello, traditions. I'm not going to say hi to Ording Valley, because Pastor Caleb's down preaching live at Ording Valley. So it's just us this morning. It's good to see you here. It's a great weekend. The sun is shining, and uh, I'm sore. We, when, when we came to the end of our leadership here at, as lead pastors, you were so generous. You gave us a hot tub. But all that was was the money. We have to put a pad down, and, and last weekend, on Friday and Saturday, I had two or three guys come and help me, and we laid the pavers for the hot tub pad. The pavers are two feet by two feet by, they're 85 pounds apiece. I'm too old to be doing that. <laughs> but it's great. It's great to see you, and we're in a series entitled Stay. We're going to talk about staying with Jesus, and this morning, we're going to talk about being a friend of Jesus. A friend of Jesus. Wow, what a concept. Uh, in 2014, we took a trip with some of our dearest friends. We did traveling uh, in different parts of, of the United States and, and even actually across overseas with Rick and Susan Ross. Rick and, Rick and Susan came out here for our uh, retirement party. They, they live in North Carolina, but we have been close for 25 years. And you know what's interesting about couples who are friends, it's hard to get couples who match up well. Think about it. Guys get along great and gals get along great, but a man and wife get along with another man and wife, that, that doesn't work. The, the reason why girls get along great, they go shopping. The reason why guys get along great, they go hunting. And to get us all together so it works it's just one of the, but that we, we just match up so well with Rick and Susan. And, and, and we're on this trip and every night at dinner, Susan loves conversation. She would bring questions. I felt like it was on Jeopardy. <laughs> and, and, and one night we sat down and she, here's what, her, here's what, here was her questions because we've been a question. We, we have been friends for 25 years. Why are we such good friends? Why are we such good friends? And for the next hour and a half, we deconstructed our friendship. We needed Dr. Phil. <laughs> but, but it comes down to certain things, okay? There's certain values that we had and certain passions that we had and, and the, the connectedness of our families and, and the commonality of vision and, and, and what what pushed us to become who we were, and, and all of those things matched. And the other thing we began to realize is that if you're going to stay connected, it takes effort. And every year, we have made the effort to be together. Though they live in North Carolina, and we live here. They came out, like I said, in September. In three weeks, we're flying out to North Carolina to be with them. We're going to take a car trip down to Charleston, South Carolina. And we're, because we want to be together and we value our friendship and we want to be together because friends want to be close and friends want to have connection. And for that friendship to, to really flourish, it really takes some deep and abiding effort. You know what's interesting this morning is we can be a friend of Jesus. Not, not just friends of the people of Jesus, but a friend of Jesus himself. And in John chapter 15, Jesus talks about what it means to be his friend. 
And, and in this idea of staying, of being connected to Jesus, of staying in him, of, of being attached to him as the vine, here's what he says, beginning in verse 12. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. So this morning, I want to take a few minutes and kind of walk through that passage and give us an idea of what it means to be a friend of Jesus and how we can stay connected to him. The first thing is found in verse 12. The idea that obedience is essential to fruitfulness. If we're going to have this fruitful life, we have to be obedient. Verse 12 says this, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Now notice, he doesn't say, I got a great suggestion for you. Hey, I got a life tip. You know, know, I really like you to do this. No, he said, this is my commandment. Parents know the difference between a command and a suggestion. Kids often don't. I knew that when it was time to take the garbage out on Wednesday night when I was a kid, that it was a commandment. It wasn't a suggestion. My mother would say, Dale, garbage needs to go out. And Dale would make a command. He said, Gal, it's time to take the garbage out. Now, he'd tell me about five or six in the evening. But being the kind of person I was, I would wait and wait. And just as I'm getting ready for bed, I'm now in my underwear. My dad says, Cal, take the garbage out. So at about 1030 at night on Wednesday, Cal Carpenter on 26th Avenue in Yakima, Washington, would take the garbage out in his underwear. Because it was a command, not a suggestion. And we are commanded to love. You know, if you want a great life, you got to make great decisions. You know, we've talked about the great life around here forever. And the great life is not a perfect life. The great life is not a life of ease. The great life is a meaningful life. It's a life that makes a difference. It's a significant kind of life. And if you want that kind of life, you have to make good decisions because a great life flows from great decisions. And one of the greatest decisions you can make is to love Jesus, to be his friend. But how do you continue to be his friend? You love other people as well. And loving others is not a suggestion. Remember that. The standard is high. We're to love others like Jesus loved them. He set the standard for what love looks like. You know, oftentimes we think loving people is just tolerating them. If I can put up with you, that must mean I love you. You know, there are people that just bug us. And as Christians, we go, well, I, I, I really should love them. But what we're really all only doing is tolerating them. We don't, really, we, we don't try to make their life better. We don't try to invest in them. We just try to avoid them. We try not to argue with them. We try not to let them bug us. But 
Love is more than tolerating. Love is wanting the best, working for the best, desiring the best for someone, putting their interests above your own, making sure that that God has a chance to touch their life and, and going the extra mile. Jesus showed that in everything he did. He desired and worked for the best interest of all of us, not just for himself, but for us. And he said, that's the standard. That's the standard. You see, Christ loves sacrificially. He loves sacrificially. Verse 13, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now that's the sacrifice. But you got to understand that Everything about Jesus and his life here on earth was sacrificial. I love the beautiful language of John as he begins this book that we're in today. He says, as the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, we think that's beautiful. We think it's wonderful. We, we think about Christmas and we think about, you know, the, the stars and the, and the magi and the, and, and, and the animals and the stable. But think of it from Christ's perspective. It was a sacrifice for the word to become flesh. His residence was heaven. He was not bound by a human body. He was not, he was not bound by the pain of life. But he put on the cloak of human flesh. He sacrificed to become one of us. And he came into our world. He walked among us. Now, now we think in terms of our world, but think about the world that he walked in. No mass transportation. No central air conditioning. No indoor plumbing. For 33 years, he walked this earth. Many times he slept at night under a blanket of the stars. Too often he was fatigued and tired. Every part of him living this humanity was a sacrifice because he didn't have to do it. And then ultimately he died. He allowed Angry men to take hold of his body. And today we're going to celebrate communion. And and what that celebrates is the choice Jesus made for us to sacrifice. Why? Because he loved us. That's the kind of love he expects from us. He loved sacrificially. Now, how do we do it? We lay down our prerogatives. We lay down our rights. We lay down our resources. You know, we're talking to you about feed one. Feeding a kid for $10 a month. You say, well, that's that's a trip to Starbucks. Oh, yeah, that's a sacrifice. We lay down the resources we have. We lay down our comfort. We lay down the things that make life easy for us. Because too often we exercise our rights. We say, well, I have a right to that. You can't tell me what to do. I I have a right. I'm entitled. 
You know, real love lives without entitlement. Because when we really love Jesus and we really love others, we understand that, that we aren't entitled. We are privileged and blessed. God doesn't owe me anything. This world doesn't owe me anything. But God in his grace and mercy reached out in his love and kindness and embraced me with grace and brought me into his family and made me his own. That changes everything. And when I live without entitlements, I live an entirely different kind of life. I live a generous life. I, I live a, a full life. I live, I, I live a life that's significant. You see, sacrifice is the opposite of entitlement. It is also the antidote. You know, one of, one of the things that bugs me of people who are entitled, they walk in and, well, you know, that's not up to my standards. That, you know, I, I really can't come to your house because you're, you're not serving the, the kind of meal that I want. I'm entitled. Well, if you live sacrificially, that kills entitlement. It's the antidote. It's the thing that gives life. Entitlement will kill you. Because it's never enough. You always want more. You always think you deserve more. You always think that you're getting a short end of the stick. You don't trust anybody because I'm entitled. Ah. If you live sacrificially, it kills that. It's the antidote. It makes life fuller and richer. When I'm generous, it's difficult to feel entitled. Because I see myself as a channel, not a reservoir. I'm simply a pastor for what God wants to do. The focus is entirely different. It's off of me and onto we. Think about that. Entitlement focuses on me. Generosity focuses on we. How can we together have God's blessing in our life? And then he reminds us that he calls us his friends if we live in unity with him. Verse 14 and 15, you're my friends if you do what I command. He, he restates it. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friend since I told you everything the father told me. He's changed the relationship. We are not just being ordered around. We are part of the plan. We are part of the community. And out of that, bonds of unity are formed of common purpose and common goals. And ultimately, we share his mission. Jesus came with a specific mission to seek and save that which was lost. And then he invites us into that mission. Go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Matthew 28. We're part of the mission. We're not just being ordered around. Well, do this, do this. I don't know why. No, we are part of his mission to seek and save those who are lost. We share in that. And he chose us. Think of that. From the beginning of time, he chose you. He knows where you are. He knows 
every hair on your head or lack of. He knows you intimately and personally. He knows what your future holds. He knows the joys you will have and the pain you will face. He knows all of those things. And he chose you to be part of his family. He picked us. He doesn't have to put up with us. He picked us. Wow. Remember when you were a kid on the, at recess and they were picking teams? It's the worst to be the last. Because, you know, the, the, the captain is either the most popular person or the best athlete. And after you picked about seven or eight kids, the, the first couple, they know they're wanted. But after that, if you're getting to the end, well, I guess I have to have that person. And just to make the, because the teacher made you do it. You know, if it, was up to, if it was up to the captain, he'd have just left you off. He's going to put you in right field anyway. Some of you don't know what that means. That means you're bad. <laughs> but he chose us. He picked us. You are not a leftover. You are the focus of his love. We share it. And he wants us. And out of that, he wants to have intimacy with us. Think of that. He doesn't just want to put up with you. He didn't just choose you, but he wants to be close to you. He wants to know you intimately and personally. So how do we get that? Out of unity comes intimacy. The closer we are to Jesus, the more intimate we become with him. The closer our friendship with Jesus, the more intimate we know him. I know. I know my friends. I, I have conversations with them that are, that are close and personal. I, I know the kinds of things that really hurt them. And when I know they're hurting, I call and, and I'm close because I want to be of help to them. I want to love them. Out of unity flows intimacy. And you want to be close with Jesus? Be close in his mission and purpose. Be in unity with who he is and love people like he loved them. And then out of that is something that is just a spillover. He wants our lives to be blessed. Verses 16 and 17. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. So what he wants for us is not survival, but to flourish. Too many times we are just in survival mode. We're just trying to make it from one day to the next. We're trying to get up in the morning and go to bed at night and trying to survive what happens between those two events. But he wants our lives to flourish. Even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of challenge, even in the midst of difficulty, he wants us to flourish. Because when you value the things that Jesus values, there's blessing that flows onto your life. It overflows. When you make good decisions and you choose the right things, there is an ongoing residue of his grace and love and his mercy and blessing on your life. You want your life to work easily? Well, maybe not easy, but more than difficult. If you work against the values of Jesus, your life's going to be tough. 
You work with them, the wind's at your back a little bit. You get to see blessings in place, places you never expected. And the other thing is you're going to have a life that's significant. Something that produces fruit. A, a seed is significant because it produces fruit. What you do makes a difference. You're putting your impact, you're putting your footprint on your world and on your life. There are people who are watching you. You may not even know that they're watching you, but if you're a friend of Jesus and you're a friend to them, you're making a difference in their life. People are coming to know what it means to be a Christ follower. People are coming to know what it means to have values in life. And here's the wonderful thing. You have the authority to ask in Jesus' name. But there's a catch. You say, Pastor, what's the catch? <laughs> the catch is not his provision because it's inexhaustible. He's got more than enough. <laughs> the catch is, if you're going to ask in Jesus' name, you're going to ask for what he wants. Too often we think, well, I can ask in Jesus' name because I want that. I want that car. I want that house. I want that experience. No, if we're asking in Jesus' name, we're going to ask for what Jesus wants. That's the stamp of approval. That's the stamp of authority. If you ask in Jesus' name for the stuff that Jesus wants, Jesus' stuff's going to happen. That's wonderful. And, and that is a blessing that flows into our life in so many ways. Because what he has is inexhaustible. So what does it mean to be blessed? Can I tell you a story? Well, that was really a great response. I'm going to tell you a story anyway, because I'm up here and you're down there. In 2009, we'd been the pastor for 10 years, and we were tired. The church had grown. We were trying to put together a building program. It, it, I, I was the end. Tina and I were both just exhausted. And in that moment, this church gave us the greater, greatest gift we've ever received. They gave us a three-month sabbatical. And they, they gave us the ability to travel and to go places. And we spent some time just resting, and then we headed out. We were still just kind of getting back into the swing, but we went to Australia, Sydney in particular. We went there to go to the Hillsong Conference. It's one of the great learning conferences, not just a music conference, but a great learning conference and a great atmosphere. And, and I love Australia. I, it's on my bucket list to go back. And we got to Sydney, we got in our hotel, and we, we just started seeing the sights and the sounds and went to the conference and things were going great. And, and we found something over there that we don't have here. It's called Max Brenner's Chocolate Bar. Now, think of Starbucks. Only think chocolate. What a concept. You can get everything you can get at a Starbucks and then everything you want with chocolate. Hot chocolate. Chocolate fondue, chocolate candy, chocolate on, on chocolate, on chocolate. And there was one like a block from our hotel. How many times do we walk out of the room, Tina, and go, you want to go to Max Brenner's? It was wonderful. And, and one day we're in there 
And I'm at the counter ordering. It's just like, kind of like Starbucks. You, they have coffee and all that kind of stuff. But you're up there ordering. And, and this guy comes up. He says, are you American? And I said, what gave me away? I go, yeah. He says, what, what are you doing here? I said, well, we're here for a religious conference. He says, oh, Hillsong? And I go, yeah. How did you know that? He says, I go to a great church, love Jesus with all my heart. And I've been to that conference several times. And we just began to talk. He says, my name's Gareth. We're glad you're here. So I get my chocolate fondue and we go back and we're starting to pick up the marshmallows and the strawberries and dunk them in the dark chocolate. And, and, and we're, we're just in heaven. We're in Australia and in the chocolate shop. And Gareth comes up again. And he, we're talking to him and he's talking about what Jesus is doing in his life. And it's, it's really cool. And just before he leaves, he says, hey, I work at a restaurant. I, I think you might enjoy it. Here, here's our card. If you want to come, just call me up and I'll make a reservation for you. So he said, okay. Put the card in my pocket and we walk back to the hotel. And as I walk into the front desk, I just, you know, you got to check something like this out. I, 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 I handed the card to the, the person at the front desk. And I said, is this a good restaurant? And they looked and went, yeah, that's a really good restaurant. I said, oh, okay. A couple of days later, I called Gareth up. I said, Gareth, we, we, you know, we're done with the conference now. We'd love to come to the restaurant. He said, oh, I'll make a reservation. How, how does tomorrow night work? And I said, perfect. So the next night, we were at a hotel, downtown Sydney, Australia, two blocks from the key, Q-U-A-Y. Okay, look it up. It's a cool place. And we walk three blocks and we see a restaurant right at the end of one of the fingers of Sydney Harbor. And Sydney Harbor may be the most beautiful harbor in all the world. And that restaurant overlooks the bridge and the opera house. A frame view. I go, wow, that's pretty cool. Now, now you have to understand, all of this is predicated on me praying a little prayer as we began to fly into Sydney. Not only are we on sabbatical, but it's the year of our 35th anniversary. And I just whispered a little prayer. And I didn't even tell Tina. Because she'd have held me to it if I'd have, if I'd have told her. I said, I said, Jesus, I just love to take Tina out to a wonderful dinner in Sydney. And so here we are. We walk into the lobby and we, we go up to the desk. And I said, Hi, my, my name's Cal Carpenter. I think I've got a reservation. She'd go, oh, Mr. Carpenter, we've been waiting for you. You're a friend of Gareth's. I go, okay. <laughs> I'm a friend of Gareth's. And they took us around to the finest table in the house. Now, how do you say, how do you know it's the finest table? Because there's only one table in this whole restaurant that seats close to 300 that is completely away from everybody else and has a perfect view of Sydney Harbor. We sit down and I go, wow, this is pretty cool. 
The waitress comes up. She's got a big smile on, your face, on her face. And she says, oh, I hear you're a friend of Gareth's. We're so glad you're here. What would you like to drink? And I'm thinking, wow, this is cool. Well, I, you know, I'll start with water, but, you know, iced tea would be great. And Tina orders. And, and she goes, we're so glad you're here. She goes away. And then they bring out the menus. Now, when you, guys, let me give you a little tip. If you're on your 35th anniversary, price is no object. Okay, really. Okay. This is not McDonald's. This is not Applebee's. Okay. And Robert, this is not even Tanalis. You know what I mean. And this is a steak place, steak and fish, but for me, it's steak. And you know, it's a good steakhouse when they've got 15 different cuts of steak and they're all different weights. And the price just keeps going for each of them. <laughs> and it's also an a la carte restaurant, meaning that everything you order, you pay for it. Nothing comes with the dinner. Would you like salad? Oh, Tina, oh yeah, I'd love a salad. Yeah, we'll, we'll have salad. And then, Mr. Carver, Mr. Carver, what, what would you like for dinner? And I look at these steaks and I go, oh, ribeye. 18 ounces. Cooked to perfection. Tina did the same. And, you know, you don't want to look at the price because it's way up double figures. But it's okay. And what would you like for side? She's going asparagus. I'm going, I'm not paying that much for asparagus. <laughs> but we got it because it's our anniversary. A baked potato and cream corn. Bread. Oh, we're so glad you're here, Mr. Carpenter. You're going to enjoy the meal. You're a friend of Garrison. We're so glad. The person comes and refills our water and they go, oh, thank you for being here. You're a friend of Gareth's. Oh, you know Gareth's here tonight? Well, I said, is he? I didn't even remember what he looked like. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Gareth comes up. He says, oh yeah, are you enjoying a meal? Is, is everything cooked right? Is, is, are, is everything up to your... I said, Gareth, this is... This is maybe the best meal I've ever had. And I'm also thinking to myself, it's also the most expensive meal I've ever had. But it's okay, it's our 35th anniversary. Come to find out, Gareth is the head of all hospitality for this entire restaurant chain. There's four of them. So all of the servers work for Gareth. No wonder they're interested in how we're doing <laughs> He said, oh, I'm so glad you're here. So, so we, we are now full. The, the meal is done. The steak has been obliter, obliterated. And, and, and now they said, oh, would you like dessert? Well, of course we'd like dessert. <laughs> is it chocolate? Yes, it's chocolate. So they bring out the dessert menu and we look at it, and, oh, wow, we pick out a couple of great desserts. And, oh, can we have coffee with that? Now, you have to understand, they don't brew coffee in Australia. They do what's called a long black. If you want black coffee, you, it's a long black, meaning that, that it's, a, it's an Americano. 
and they make each one individually. So that means there's no refills unless you pay for it. Would you like a second cup of coffee? Tina goes, oh yeah, we'd like a second cup of coffee. (laughs) So now we are at the end. We are full. The calculator in my head is broken because the price is so high. I could have fed a family of 10. And, and so, so finally, the, we're just waiting there. The waitress finally comes up. Oh, did you enjoy your meal? Oh, we did. It was so wonderful. Can I have the check? And this wry smile comes across her face. She said, there is no check. Your friend of Gareth's. And for a tired, burned out pastor halfway around the world, something had happened in me. It was just a moment when I realized that nobody in the world knew where I was or knew what I had said, but Jesus did. And because he was my friend, blessed me. Now, I later asked the question, why was I a friend of Gareth's? I know I'm a friend of Jesus, but why was I a friend of Gareth's? Because Gareth was a friend of Jesus too. And that's what friends of Jesus do. They love each other. And he had something he could show love with, and he showed it. And he never knew what it meant to me. But it changed something inside me. And I came back, and for 10 more years, I pastored with passion and conviction. And I never hit that wall again. So, what does it all mean? The command is to love. Now, do it. Do it. You love people because you're a friend of Jesus. And that makes all the difference. A friend of Jesus. How do you show that? You show love to the unlovely. You take that response card that's in the back of your seat and you go home and pray about what you ought to do. How can you feed a kid that you've never seen in your life and make a difference in his world? How can you do that? That's loving people. Next week, we're going to get to do that. We're going to show our love and you're going to have an impact on people you'll never even see. And some will ask, well, why is that person feeding me? It's because they're a friend of Jesus. That's what friends of Jesus do. Lord, thank you for being our friend. Thank you for sacrificing everything that you knew to come into our world and make the difference for us. Help us, Lord to be your friends, to live with love, 
to live sacrificially, to live without entitlement, to live in unity, to live in passion, to live significantly. Help us, Lord, to become your friend in such a way that everybody says, oh, they're a friend of Jesus. Help us. Change us. Be with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.